I know someone who does over a billion dollars a year in mortgage business who still spends 50% of the day on the phone prospecting. Yet we have brand new people that come into the business that want to find the shortcuts. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast, the podcast dedicated to simplifying the commercial real estate industry for the masses. Each week, we sit down with industry experts to dissect the many facets of commercial real estate and extract valuable lessons you can apply to your business. Whether you're a new or seasoned business owner or investor, the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast will be your go-to resource for all your commercial real estate needs. Now, here are your hosts, Rafael Collazo and Jeff Walston. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Collazo, here with my co-host, Jeff Walston. How's it going, my friend? It's going great. Um, you know, can't complain. If I did, I don't know if anyone would uh, even listen. So, uh, but yeah, business is good. Um, looking f- curious about this economy that we're getting ready to really dig down into. Uh, but other than that, I mean, business is good. Life's good. So what about you, Rafael? How's it going? Good, good. It's good to keep a positive attitude. But yeah, business has been going very well. I mean, I'm in the, the a lot of retail side of things. So I have a lot of leasing clients we're looking for space for. And a lot of my franchise clients are in go, go, go mode. So uh, it still seems like the economy is doing very well. And, you know, I think everything like in life is all about mindset and putting putting your one foot in front of the other and just getting out there and hustling. But, uh, you know, we have someone who's very much has that mindset uh, in the space of lending, uh, Patty, uh, good speed. Is that correct? I just want to make sure that I'm saying that correctly. That's correct. All right. Yeah. Patty. So we were actually, uh, for those of you guys who are listening, we, we, we had a chance, uh, to connect earlier, but we weren't able to make this recording happen. And luckily we were able to get back on, uh, to have the recording, looking forward to really having a discussion and learning a lot more about your background. So, uh, welcome. Patty. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. No, no, it's an honor to, to talk to you. So one of the things we like to do when we first get started is we like to learn a little bit more about the person that's across the table from us. So if you don't mind kind of sharing your backstory, I think that'd be awesome. Of course. Yeah. Um, well, I'm from California, born and raised, which is great for a lot of things other than taxes. Um, <laughs> it's not just the weather, but Miami's calling my name. <laughs> so I'm stressed out right now, tax time. Um, so I've, I've been, wow, I've been doing mortgages for 20 years. I started fresh out of college. And so I started in 2002. I have 20 years of experience. I'm ranked as one of the top 100 women in mortgage that's based on production. So it's not about who you know, or how you get placed in an article. It's strictly numbers driven. Um, so I'm very proud of that. Worked hard for that. Um, I'm a single mother. I've been divorced since 2013. And I like to emphasize that because I never have enjoyed talking about myself, but in more opportunities like this that I've had, I have found that it's been really inspiring for other moms to hear that. Um, so I've been a single mother since 2012 and I've been divorced since 2013. I have two beautiful daughters, 15 and 12. The youngest one's about to be 13. Um, they're, they're very busy. They're very accomplished. They are very uh, independent because they have a crazy mom that works 18 days a week. So, um, yeah, so it's fun. And I love this business. I love what I do. I've had the same friends I've had since I was seven or eight years old. Um, I believe in the power of community. I love people. I love what I do. I love my team and I'm excited about, you know, um, what's happening right now, even 
though it's scary for a lot of people, I think those of us that have been through a couple runs like this, we're excited about what the next run's going to look like and excited about what opportunities exist today. So uh, my mindset always kind of has a bias towards the positive because I'm a solution-driven type of person. So that gives you kind of like a clear picture of who I am. A little mm -hmm. crazy, but very, very ambitious. <laughs> well, it's, it's very important to take that approach because I feel like a lot of people, you know, get caught up in the 24-hour news cycle. And and again, all, all the news is, is to try to grab your attention. And the best way to grab your attention is to throw out negativity and, and, and you know, shocking news titles. When in reality, you know, you, the world is what you make it, right? We What we can control is our mind and how we approach our day to day. And if that's what you isolate and go for, it's, you know, the, the sky's the limit, really. So. Yeah, I agree. Uh, to that note, I would like to highlight that I started a um, a webinar. It's a free space that people come together in the community because it's absolutely impossible, as you know, to answer every single DM about what does this mean? What does that mm -hmm. mean? And every time you post about something, you're generating either fear or excitement or a doubt with some headline. So I created a webinar called The Truth Behind the Headlines, where we really dive into all those things. And we just talked about how insane it was that by Friday, the world was on fire. Everyone thought the bank system was collapsing. And literally by Monday, SVB became the safest place on earth to park your money, which goes to show that these headlines are messing with your head. Leave them alone. You know, take a breath, take a step back and just listen to what's really happening. So a great point. No, for sure. No. And, and I'm, I'm sure those webinars are going to be great going forward as well, because you can yeah. that that's a corpus of, of, of content that you can create that to help your clients understand what's going on. And that's ultimately the value you can provide them. So that's awesome. Thank you. Earlier, before we started the podcast, you kind of alluded to uh, you diving into the real estate sector. Um, what got you interested in that? Um, and can you explain maybe uh, the little bit of the beginning of that for your career to kind of yeah. inspire other people? That'd be great. Of course. It's um, so this week I got a contract for a client and it's their very first home and it's a half flex. And it reminded me, took me down the journey of my very first home. I bought a half flex. I remember I was super young. I drove like this Honda Civic or something. And I was like thinking I was just badass, you know, I was like so cool. And I bought my very first home and it was a half flex. And I always tell people, if you take a duplex and you rip it apart and you only own one side, that's what a half flex is. Um, but that was my half flex and I was so good about it. And I bought it for $240 and I sold it for $350,000 about four years later. And that was my very first exposure to understanding the power of real estate and understanding what you can do and what you can't do. I was actually still too young at the time to fully grasp, you know, investing and compounding because my parents immigrants. Uh, my parents are from Iran and I'm a first generation Iranian in the United States. So we didn't really have any understanding of how all that works. I had to learn everything on my own. Um, so I feel like real estate is one of the only ways many of us have to access uh, generational wealth. It's, you know, this is how we establish it. So it's kind of on me to do that. That was my first exposure. And then I bought more properties. And here's the interesting thing. I owned other properties. I had big house. I had a couple other side properties. But because I was overwhelmed and scared and I didn't know what to do with it, I actually sold all of those properties prior to the 2007 and 8 crash, which was super interesting. So I didn't take the losses that people took. In 2007 and 8, I was home for 13 months with my firstborn child. It was like God sheltering me from all that. I made that decision. So I sold my properties. I wanted to have enough cash in the bank to say, I want to be home and I want to be a mom this year. And I did that. And so I realized in hindsight that that was 
you know, God kind of protecting me through that time frame. But also in hindsight, I learned what an idiot I was because if I kept those properties <laughs> through that cycle, I would not be working today. Um, so the, yeah. that, that was my very first kind of first round, first youthful round of kind of learning. And then as we, as I decided, as I made a decision that I wanted to be a prominent figure in mortgage lending, and I wanted to become a hundred million dollar producer, when I made that decision and I started to understand what it would take to do that, I realized the value of, you know, don't buy so many purses and shoes and jewelries. I needed to start putting that money towards homes and real estate and investing. And I was able to accumulate 16 doors through this last run where we had, you know, lots of income and lots of transactions and being able to put that money towards building a single family portfolio, um, you know, with my corporation under my person in various ways. So I'm a firm believer in buying and holding real estate. I believe that we use real estate to buy income. I believe in the power of cash on cash return. So um, and of course, that's what I'm using to build my portfolio. And hopefully I'll transition into much bigger projects soon. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and it, it's it's interesting that, that you had that that realization, you know, obviously everyone kind of has that realization at different points in their life, you know, you know, luckily in, in your case, you you had that realization and you you took the 10 years or 12 years or 13 years, however long since you had that realization to now build up your portfolio and you, you can leverage now all the properties that you already have built up that you've accumulated equity in and everything else to now go on to bigger and better things. And, and, and again, why, why do you do that? It's because the financial freedom aspect, you, you have the flexibility to do what you want to do at some point in time. That doesn't mean that you're ever going to stop working. I'm sure you're probably similar to us where it's like, we love to work. We love what we do. We get out there, we hustle. That's just in our nature, but at least you have that flexibility so that, you know, if you want to, you know, go, hang out with your kids for a month or two. You have that ability to do that. So, yeah. yeah. And I hope every agent who listens to these podcasts, there was this really profound quote I saw on Twitter. Someone was sharing a story. It was a mentor or someone told him at some point, he was like, you sign listing agreements. I sign loan documents. And that was his aha moment that he had to stop being focused on commissions and start learning how to invest. And I think the sooner we as real estate professionals have that, like click, you need to take action and become an investor. The rich people aren't selling, the rich people own. So we need to really make that distinction in our lives and use the money that we're earning to build our future because we don't have those pensions. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can never relying yeah. on, on, the, on the government or really anyone else is not a good move uh, to do so over a long period of time. So I definitely agree with you on that front. So one of the things I'm kind of curious about is obviously, you know, similar to the brokerage profession, you know, in the mortgage banking space, you know, it is a sales role. So you'd mentioned how you had gotten into the space early on, right out of college. You know, what are some of the early struggles that you faced as you went through that that process? Because it can get be tough getting started in the space. Yeah, it's really tough. So I don't know if, if um, you guys remember what encyclopedias are, <laughs> huh? but encyclopedias are really large books. And back when I started in mortgages, they gave you a farm pack the size of an encyclopedia with everyone in the communities or zip codes, name, address, phone number. And at that time, there were a lot more phone numbers listed. So I would sit in the office and I would take those numbers and I would call on people and I would ask them if they wanted to refinance, if they were interested in selling or if they wanted to buy. So my introduction to the business was an assistant type that was sitting on the phones and I had no problem being on the phone. I had no problem speaking with people, but I learned the toughest way to get business 
was my introduction to the business, which was cold calling. And I believe that, again, that was another way of God protecting me and teaching me and giving me these tools that are so difficult to teach today because we have a culture of instant gratification. How much ad spend can I do? How many dumb dances can I do on TikTok to go generate a bunch of business? And now I'm going to position myself as an expert, as opposed to having to actually pick up the phone, build the communication skills to talk to people. So that was the tough way that I got introduced to the business in terms of how to grow and how to talk to folks. Um, but also it was a much tougher time 20 years ago in that women were not respected in the space the way that we are now. I think you guys know now that women have a little bit less of, you know, it might be easier when you're talking to a woman to let your guard down. You feel more compassion and a sense of warmth from women and men are more logical and, you know, different. We have our differences, um, which I'm a firm believer in traditional gender roles. Okay. I like being a woman and I don't want to act like a man to be a successful woman. Um, so, so I, I share that to say it was really difficult that a lot of men would talk to me on the phone like I was their daughter. And there wasn't a way to, to, to turn that to your advantage. Either you get flirted with, or you get hit on, or you get treated like someone's daughter, all of which feel condescending and disrespectful in ways that you have to get through the business. Um, as a matter of fact, something I'd love to share is that I remember going to a bunch of real estate events, and many of those events were just a whole bunch of, you know, it was like a drunk fest. Everyone was drinking and partying. And that's what the industry events had been, had been known for. So at some point I made the decision that I'm not going to partake in this anymore. I'm going to start creating my own events. And I did that with all the fear and all the doubt that everyone would have in a circumstance like that. I was like, why am I going to go to an event where for every realtor, there's four lenders here? What am I, this is stupid. I'm going to create an event where all the realtors are invited and there's only one lender and that's me. And I did that. And my very first event had over a hundred people show up and it nice. was, it was surprising for me. It was encouraging. It was very validating. And it was something I could not believe had happened unless I tried it. So, you know, that's how, that's how it goes. I did all, all the hard things. I did them day in and day out. I did them consistently. And I still do them to this day. I know someone who does over a billion dollars a year in mortgage business, who still spends 50% of the day on the phone prospecting. Yet we have brand new people that come into the business that want to find the shortcuts. And um, on a final note on that is that in, in our space, we've had a lot of people that want to become influencers. So they're spending a lot of time in making content and just kind of putting out whatever run of the mill type of content is to generate a following so that they can sell digital products. Well, I'm here to say that those are the people that are primarily struggling with transactions right now because they didn't prioritize the customer or the business, which at the end of the day, without that, you don't have a job. So um, that's my mindset that kind of gave you kind of the full spectrum of how it started, what I did, all the struggles. And then of course, being consistent through times like this can only happen when you show up and you're present and you're consistent. Absolutely. No, that's, that's some great advice. And, and I think that, you know, like you said, especially in a, an environment where, you know, transactions are happening, right? When there's a lot of, you know, meat to go around as far as, you know, the, the, the environment is it, sometimes you lose sight of that. You think, oh, okay, we can do this. This things it's not the, 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 the meat and potatoes of the business that it is a sales role. I mean, we are in the people business. We're in, we're, we need to have conversations with people on a regular basis. Business development is obviously a part of the business. And especially in an environment where transactions start diminishing, there's less people in the, in the market to do these types of transactions. There's fewer and fewer opportunities and you have to be able yeah. to get out there and, and find them. So I agree. 
Yeah. And this is the time where professionals like us have to take market share, right? What mm-hmm. now we I remember speaking, I was a I was a, a very fortunate to be a contributor to a mastermind in Arizona where one of the gentlemen speaking has about a billion dollars of multifamily under management. And we, I remember speaking, this was two years ago. I said, what, you know, when one of the biggest challenges that you're going to see is that most of the financing that takes place on commercial deals are five years, seven years, 10 years, what's going to happen to those deals that come due this year with interest rates, the prime rate being over, for seven and a half percent, you're going to have opportunity. Some people will think of it as devastation. People think of it as an opportunity. And I can tell you as a real estate professional, you better be on the phone being a mass. In, you know, put investors in front of more opportunities, create solutions for someone that might be struggling, a seller, you know, or, you know, find yourself an opportunity that might be easy to collect, raise money on when you know that there's going to be some blood in the streets. So absolutely, it is a sales role. We have to stay ahead of it all. Well, do you have, I know you spoke about your event and how successful that was and stuff like that. Do you have any other strategies that you use to kind of set yourself apart from like the competitors that you come up against? Are there any others? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, my philosophy. So in 2009, after when we started bubbling back up again, there was a refi boom because interest people had gotten a lot of their balances forgiven. So we had we started to see values come back in alignment with loan amounts. And then there was an FHA refinance boom because at the time, FHA loans didn't require an, an appraisal for a streamlined appraisal, which still exists. But at the time, it was booming. In that moment, I decided not to take the low hanging fruit. And while every single loan officer in the nation was focused on refinance business, I was knocking on real estate doors. I went to a Century 21 office that had the largest REO account. So back in 2007 and 8, when the banks foreclosed, they had a massive surplus of listings. So they'd knock on your door and say, hey, Jeff, I have 100 listings. If you go out and take a few pictures for me, a little bit more comprehensive than that, but giving you the short version, I'm going to give you those listings. So you would now get 100 listings from, from Chase Bank because you did that, right? So then there was this program called for the Fannie Mae owned loans. It was a home path loan. You didn't have to have an appraisal. You didn't have, you didn't, it it was a very easy way to do the transaction. You can close it in 15 to 20 days. There wasn't a single loan officer in my market who even understood what that was. And that's because they were focused on the refinances. So I went and got the largest REO account in our, in our, in our city and said, Hey, they're going to start working with me. And then because of obviously their reputation, that took my reputation to a new level. And it was extremely well, well, uh, well received. What I learned from that was what we all are told and we never do, which is to go against the grain. At the time, it seems easier to just focus on what makes you money. What that did for me was teach me that purchase business was what was stable and what would create stability through the years. I spent the rest of my career focused on the service that I would give to realtors and their and buyers and what they needed to know because that was stable and refinance business comes and goes. So when you saw, I did $183 million in personal volume in, in uh, 2021. And in 2022, when the whole world went to shit, I still did over uh, about 110 million in production because I stuck to my plan and I wasn't just focused on refinance business. So that's one of the strategies that I think a lot of people should implement. You don't want to always go for the low hanging fruit. That's when every single car salesman comes into the lending business because they know it's easy for you to go get a deal and make some money and then they go out of the business. So 
times like this where we're able to take market share because we've kind of been there, it's, it's how you differentiate yourself is by not talking about what everyone else is talking about because it's easy. And in the COVID market, I found uh, the opportunity through the truth behind the headlines to talk about my knowledge of, you know, the economy. So I was in Clubhouse. Clubhouse is an app that boomed mm -hmm. kind of similar to what we're doing here, but without the video. And during the pandemic, everyone was home on our phones on Clubhouse. Um, I got like 18,000 followers on Clubhouse and I started to get business from places like Texas, North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida because they were hearing me talk. I was timid in those rooms. I was afraid to speak, but I learned that I knew what I was talking about. I never had a, I never was in a position where we had to talk about what was going on. So when I started to do that, I realized that I can separate myself significantly from the competition because of my experience, not only in lending, but my experience as an investor and my experience just with guidelines and under understanding what's happening in the market. And on top of that, the economy. So being able to talk about this, like I saw a brand new agent who I know who hasn't, who hasn't sold any transactions yet, gave this comprehensive view based on a headline that says interest rates took a nosedive after the SVB situation. First of all, that, that headline was outdated within two hours of being published. Mm -hmm. You can't know that. So you look at it and say, oh my God, my buyers need to hear this. And I'm talking about something that's outdated. So by raising your hand and correcting people like that in a polite and respectful professional way, you really get to separate yourself. So you have to know your stuff. You got to read. I know that's hard for a lot of folks, but you got to read. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's true. And and like you said, I mean, things evolve. I mean, what happened last week is now there's there's updates that have occurred this week. So you're always having to stay on top of things and, you know, question the headlines like you had said. So one of the things that I'm kind of curious about is obviously, you know, as we record this, we, we, we've already kind of alluded to, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, you know, along with that, we've had we've seen a string of other regional banks have been yeah. affected uh, by what's been happening. Uh, so if you can kind of touch on that a little bit and also related to, you know, how you see the the environment shaping out in the residential space, and then maybe we can talk about multifamily a little bit too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the good news is that based on today's data, permits for multifamily homes are up. Now for single family homes in the residential space, the starts, new starts are down 32%. Permits for single family homes are down 36% year over year. You're not seeing that same decline when it comes to multifamily because we will become a nation of having a significant large, a significantly large amount of renters as opposed to owners. There is a huge, huge opportunity in the multifamily space. And then we can even talk about what I think the future is headed where you have companies like Factory OS, um, which are doing offsite production and bringing them on site to the tune of 50 to 100 units that will significantly impact cost of housing and create more affordable homes. So that's the that's the that's the grand scheme of where I think we're headed. Um, and I think that single family in the residential space is going to be impacted. So the SVB situation is really simple. So if I'm borrowing money at zero percent and I'm taking your deposits and I'm making loans at two to 3% and I'm buying treasuries at low interest rates and the market goes up, oh shit, I was okay when I had a two to 3% margin, but now I have to pay out more than I'm bringing in and this has becomes a problem. Now I don't have enough liquidity. So I announced that we have a problem that we're trying to solve. Then the world goes into a panic and everyone comes, takes their money out of the, uh, out of the bank and I have a way bigger problem on my hands. So, SVB announces that they are stressed and they want to raise capital to solve for a liquidity problem because of where the Fed funds rate is. So there's a panic. There's a bank run. Everyone says, I'm going to go take my money out. 
So then by between Friday and Saturday and Sunday, there's a panic. And by Monday, the FDIC steps in and says, there's no limit on the insurance. We're going to make sure all the depositors are taken care of. And then SVB in within 72 hours becomes the safest place in the country to park your money. Now, fast forward today, a First Republic Bank start, their stock was down 35% this morning. That means that this is the domino effect of news like that. You have re the regional banking system is struggling because they don't have enough liquidity. And if you are running to the bank to take money out, you're making their problem even bigger. So they have no choice but to go to the government for help. So they're getting the help that they want. Just before we got on this call, the FDIC had made a statement Statement. The feds have made a statement that they are 100% going to make sure that all depositors are covered. And this is for the regional banking system, not just SVB Bank. So you have this reassurance because the, there's no way that we can have this much chaos and the government, I mean, the, not, the American people running around worried about their bank deposits like we saw in 2007 and 8 with long lines of people lined up to take their money out. So the problem that it presents is that the regional banking system becomes weaker, the central banks, the larger banks become a lot stronger, and that creates another imbalance of power, which is probably for another podcast in another setting. But what implications it could have on real estate is that lending guidelines get tightened, right? Mm -hmm. So the first thing that you're going to see is more regulation. But guess what happens? I always, I've said this for many, many years. You cannot ask for security and help in the same sentence. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm sorry, you cannot ask for freedom and security in the same <laughs> sentence. So if I want to be a free sovereign entity, I can't say I need the government to give me a check every single month to live because then I'm dependent upon the hand that feeds me. So when you're a bank and you're reaching out for this help and now you've got this life jacket that comes over to you, guess what? You're going to have to be subject to a few new set of rules. We don't know what those rules are yet. We know that this insurance fund was established overnight to solve for this problem, to avoid bank runs, to create some ease in the panic that we're seeing in the market, right? Which is great. We want that. We need people to feel safe and comfortable in their daily lives. The last thing we need after a two-year pandemic is people worried about where their money is going, right? So we needed that. But what happens now is more regulation. When you invite more regulation into the banking system, you're going to see tighter lending guidelines. So if you have more pressure on businesses because the Fed will hike rates again on the on the 21st, the 21st to the 22nd, we're I think a minimum of 25 basis points, which also I think relative to this is, you know, the Credit Suisse situation, you have the European Central Bank hike their rates by 50 basis points today, despite the same struggle that they're having in their banking system, because they said, if we don't get inflation down, we're not going to be able to survive that. That's a bigger problem. So we can protect the banks, but we've got to solve for inflation, which is going to definitely mirror what I think will happen on the 21st or the 22nd of the Fed meeting. We see a 25 basis point rate hike. We see another rate hike, which per which puts further pressure on banks, businesses, liquidity, the money supply. And what does that mean? A little less economic activity. Hopefully that means inflation comes down and we can see them take their foot off the gas in terms of rate hikes. So what it ultimately means for housing is that if you destruct demand to the point where people are not writing offers, people can't afford to buy, the interest rate environment becomes too cumbersome, then you would see some correction in pricing to try to meet that demand. I think the outliers that we have, the kind of rare aspects of this equation is that you have a 3.6% unemployment rate, which is the lowest unemployment you've seen since 1969. So people are 
working. Housing is not crashing. People have money and the government just said your money is safe. I don't know how that's going to equate to people spending less money unless the Fed continues to hike rates and lower the money supply and make less money available and people start losing their jobs or cutting hours. So that was a long answer. No, and that <laughs> but, makes sense. And, and, yeah, and, it does. And, and it's kind of a difficult situation for the Fed to be in, right? Because obviously you, you have to get inflation under control. You cannot allow runway inflation like we saw back in the 80s or the 70s, I should say. So there's obviously that part of the coin. You're right. The, un the unemployment rate is still very, very low. People are employed. People are spending money in the economy. It's kind of indicative of the fact that the retail sector has just been booming, even in 2022, where everyone everyone seems like everything's falling apart. But in the retail sector in particular, I mean, vacancy rates are at all time low. I mean, I'm, I have franchise clients we're looking for space for. They're, they're gung ho about keeping keeping the foot on the gas pedal and consumer spending is still at where it is. But now you see, you know, consumer debt also starting to increase as well. So with rate hikes coming coming soon, that's also going to affect their ability to pay back that debt, which if unemployment rate comes in, it's going to cause I think it's going to cause a lot of pain for a lot of people. But, you know, I think yeah. it, it's unfortunately needs to get done. You know, if, if it weren't for the pandemic, the Fed would have done this years ago, obviously. But we were forced into a situation where we had to you know, kickstart the economy. We had never seen a shutdown at that scale in our entire existence. And that was just kind of a, a knee jerk reaction by the Fed to say, look, we got to keep this environment going. We got to keep the economy churning. And obviously that led to us having a significant amount of inflation. So, you know, I think you're you're spot on in your analysis. So I appreciate that feedback. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important for people to know that during the height of the pandemic, unemployment was almost 15 percent and you still saw spending skyrocketing. So you can mm -hmm. imagine why at a 3.6 percent unemployment rate, it's really difficult to get inflation under control. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. It's, That's all. It's going to definitely take a lot to to kind of pull that back. That's for sure. As far as the rates go. So I'd be curious to see how far it really goes if I only if I had a crystal ball in my hand to to yeah. tell but it's it's gonna go yeah. higher it's gonna go higher i mean like you said yeah. we, we've got to almost s s suck the air a little bit out of it because otherwise like you said like like patty was saying i mean we we don't want to let inflation run wild because that's that's really bad for the economy that could be crippling for us for years so the best you know, analogy i've heard and i've shared with my community is that if an if any if you have inflation at five percent for five years in a row and our wages did not grow at that same rate, which they will not, they have not, and they will not, we would all need to work double the amount of hours to, to sustain our cost of living. And I think that when, when or as real estate professionals, when you're crying about not having as many deals or buyers being difficult or sellers not wanting to sell, I think you really need to think about the grand scheme of things. If we don't take this punch to the face now, we're going to have serious problems in the next few years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it, yeah. Couldn't agree more. So, um, one, so go, go yeah, ahead, go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. No, no, so, good. so one one thing I'm kind of curious about, and you know, obviously, this is something that we like to ask our guests near the end of the podcast. Is you know, what one piece of advice would you share with that an individual? So, if you could go back in time, maybe talk to your younger self, or maybe, like you said, maybe talk to one of the younger agents or, or younger brokers in the in the environment right now that is going through this. What what type of advice would you share? Uh, depending on your age group, I mean, the younger the young the youngest. I didn't, you don't really quite know yourself until let's say you hit about mid your, mid your thirties or mid thirties. I'm 40 now. I know I look 20, but I'm 40 now. Okay. And what you don't really get to know yourself until you're around 30. 
And if you're making serious life decisions in your early 20s, those will change the rest of your life. There is nothing that was more detrimental to me than that divorce that I had to go through. I grew up in a conservative way and I felt like marriage was the appropriate thing to do at a very young age. Not only did I miss out on a lot of fun with my friends, um, but I also missed out on massive opportunities. And then of course, the aftermath of such a, such a life event, meaning having to pick myself up, relearn myself, go back and then do that while carrying two children and completely raising them on my own financially, physically, and everything was extremely difficult. So I think there are some decisions that you make early on in life. You don't know yourself. You don't know what you want. You don't know what it's going to feel like. You don't know. And I think be comfortable in the unknown and just be patient with yourself. Let some of those, let some of the chapters unfold, see what's going to happen before you make any permanent decisions. And of course, I think anyone that's been on your podcast would say, if I could have bought earlier, I would have, right? So whatever you buy, try to buy something that's sustainable that you can hold for the long term. I talk to a lot of people that can't afford to buy a primary residence in the place that they live and work, right? But they can afford to become an LP and maybe one of your funds and one of your deals. They can afford to maybe buy a $100,000 property in Cleveland, Ohio and get some cash flow. Something is better than nothing because when you wake up, the next five years will pass just as fast as the last five years did. So if you just remember that every time you want to make an investment, you're going to realize that that time is going to fly and you're going to look back and say, thank God I did that because the 10,000 or the 15,000 or the hundred thousand dollars that was just sitting in my bank account would have done nothing for me. But at least over here, I made some money. So those are the thoughts I have in terms of advice. That's amazing. That's great advice. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And, and I think you put, you, you put up a good point. Like we're still evolving as people, you know, like you said, all through our twenties and, and early thirties, there's a book I read called the defining decade um, that talks about, you know, the, the period of your life within your twenties and, you know, that they they do share some of that advice and they also share some advice about be, focusing on something and, and, and going for it. So in your case with your career, I mean, you started out when you're 22 and you, you put your nose to the grindstone and, and obviously that has led you to where you're at today as a top producer. You know, if you hadn't made that decision and really focused your intent in that one direction, obviously that you may, you may or may not have had the same opportunity. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's one of those things where, you know, obviously in a career standpoint, it's, it's really smart to, to, to be deliberate about where do you want to go? So. Yeah. Focus on that. There, there's things that no one can take away from you. Those are the, your accomplishments, what you've studied, what you've learned, like missing out on one year of making money to travel the world would be the best gift you could give yourself. Like it's not going anywhere. The rat race ain't going nowhere, you know, focus on you figuring yourself out. And if you think you've got it figured out, then that's when you're making the biggest mistake, because as you grow, you're always going to learn. Um, another little ism I tell myself is every level is entry level. Every single level is entry level. Like if you think about a video game, you pass a level and you think, oh, great, I'm on level four. Well, now you got new demons to beat in that level, right? So yeah. every level is entry level. So you're always learning. That's awesome. I like awesome that. Advice. I like that analogy. Thank you. <laughs> um, I know earlier you alluded to reading and you're like, read books. Um, so Raphael and I are both avid readers as well. And uh, one of the questions we love to ask our guests, uh, it's kind of a selfish thing for us because we always get really good book reviews out of it. Or, um, <laughs> And one of them is just, yeah, what was one of the most impactful books you've ever read? And it doesn't have to pertain to real estate or lending or any of that. It's just that's maybe changed the trajectory of your life or. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I read a book called A Boy Called It, and it was about a kid that was extremely abused. 
And it was one of those books that I couldn't put down, similar to The Alchemist. The Alchemist is another book that I was just unable to put down. And I think that um, why it was so impactful to me, it, it because it evokes your human nature in every way, you know, your desire to protect, your desire to understand, your desire to solve, your desire to, or, or this cringy feeling of how could you? And what it also helps you do, is, and which helps in business, is that it makes you realize that you just never know what people have gone through, right? You meet someone, you have no idea. I have no idea sitting with you, looking at you, Jeff, today, what fight you might have had in the morning, what bad news you could have received this morning, what you're carrying with you. You have no, you have no idea what I just went through. You, you have no idea that I might have cried myself to sleep last night because I forgot to kiss my daughter before she went to bed. Every single interaction that we have is human. The one thing, the one piece of common ground that you can have with any person, any prospect, any friend, any human on earth is that fact that you're human. So I think that reading books that really get us back in touch with those emotions and really having that balanced mindset really helps in the relationship building process. You guys know the value of relationships, whether you're attracting investors, whether you want to attract sellers for opportunities, whether you want to do more transactions, there is nothing more valuable than relationships. There's nothing more valuable than your reputation. And I think the more things that you do to get you back in touch with your heart, to make you realize you're human and from a heart level, you will be able to connect with anybody. That's the game changer. Um, I I've been on Twitter since 2011. I always used to tweet lyrics and poetry and things of that nature. I actually got a, got a DM from a venture capitalist in San Francisco who sold his company to box for over a hundred million dollars at the time. And he just wanted to talk. He just wanted to get to know me based on that human element. When we sat down, we had a very long dinner and he cried. He cried in that dinner. We exchanged a human experience and I will never be forgettable to him. He will never be forgettable to me. And I think if you have the ability to make eye contact and connect with people on a level that they don't experience regularly enough, unfortunately, you will be unforgettable. And that's what that book did to me. I've never been able to forget that book. And I've ne I never, ever stopped thinking about how pain, how much pain someone could go through that you just wouldn't even know what they've been through and what humans are capable of that's so disturbing at some level. So compassion and love and really those elements matter so much in business, but we don't talk about them enough because we're too busy looking at graphs. <laughs> oh, sure. No, I, yeah. everything, everything's it, we're in sales and, and business in general. It's it, we, we deal with people. And, and like you said, I think a lot of times too, when you're dealing in a sales role, you know, you, you, you take things personally sometimes. Like if you have a conversation with someone, it doesn't go well for any reason. You know, you may put that on yourself and say, oh, man, or you may say, oh, why did that person? Why is he so mean or he or she so mean? But in reality, like you said, you don't really know what they're going through. They could just be having a bad day, you know, and, and you just caught them at a wrong time. So, you know, putting your putting that into perspective as you're having those conversations, you know, will help you, you know, not only from a mental health standpoint, but also from the fact that, you know, again, we're, we're here to serve other people. So, yes, we are. Yeah, I love that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Patty, as we start rounding out the podcast, I just want to say how much that we appreciate uh, you coming on here. And it was just an honor. And I love to hear your story and how you uh, um, gained all your experience. And I, I know that people are going to find value from this podcast. Uh, so one of the questions that we have is um, we have a CRE treasure chest. It's a repository of things It's uh, that people or our guests give 
um, and it's an ebook or a case study, uh, something that they may have uh, wrote an article that they find interesting or any of those things. Um, so our question today is what are you willing to contribute to that treasure chest? Wow, I have a few different options. Um, when I was in Florida speaking to a room of 200 women in the commercial real estate space that were worth anywhere between a few million to hundreds of millions of dollars, um, I think one of the things that that I got some good feedback on was this kit I created, which is your personal financial statement, right? If you wanna get started in the commercial space and you don't have a personal financial statement, put together and you don't have your documents in order, this is with my financing hat on, then you're always going to be that guy who's on Twitter complaining about your lender asking you for the same things over and over and over again. <laughs> How many people hate working with a lender because of that? So I just created like this super cute, really simple kit that helps you get prepared for your conversations with lenders. And I'll be happy to add that to the treasure chest so people can understand if you have your paperwork organized, it's a game changer when it comes to conversations with lenders. That's amazing. Oh yeah. That's going to be yeah. super helpful because helpful. I can't tell you from, from the broker standpoint, how many times it's like, you know, if you have all those documents in order and it's just, you know, a cut and paste type type situation where it's like, here, have all the documents. Yeah. It makes the transaction go so much smoother. So it's, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who gain value from that. So really thank you, Patty. That's awesome. Yeah. Of course. Thank you. No, for sure. So, so again, thank you for your time, Patty. I know you're extremely busy and we're looking forward to keeping in touch and, and learn and you know, again, that's part of the reason we do the podcast too. We get to meet awesome people that are doing great things in, in the real estate space. So we do appreciate the opportunity to connect. But as far as, you know, other people wanting to connect, whether that's, you know, they're in your local market and they're wanting to, you know, buy a home or buy any type of residential or commercial property, uh, what's the best way to, for them to contact you? Yeah. So I am all over the internet as my name, Patty Goodspeed, which is P-A-D-I. Um, that's the difference. Goodspeed, not Godspeed. So it's two O's. <laughs> I would say it's Godspeed with two O's. <laughs> so Patty Goodspeed on Twitter, Patty Goodspeed on Instagram. I'm very responsive. Instagram links directly to my cell phone, email, DMs. And of course, my website is pattygoodspeed.com. And I do have the monthly webinar where I deep dive into the economy, deep dive into what the predictions are, housing, inventory, so on. And of course, um, if you follow me on Instagram at Patty Goodspeed, then you'll be able to see all the various real estate projects, land flipping. And hopefully um, when I enter into the retail space and I kind of share that with everybody, I'm looking forward to doing one of those crazy deals where I buy something for under a million and I sell it for like five. That's been my, that's been my request to the universe. So <laughs> well, I, add, my, add, add my name to that request, please, please <laughs> yeah. add that, add that to yeah. the request for the universe. That's awesome. No, that that's yeah. great. And that's happening for sure. Oh, for sure. I, I have no doubt, Patty. I know you're going to be killing it in the future and we're really excited to see your continued growth um, in, in the commercial space. But so what we'll go, we'll go ahead and do is we'll include all those links in the show notes as well. So if you guys are watching this on YouTube, again, go access them in the description. If you guys listen to us in a podcast format, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, it'll be in the description as well. So again, Patty, thank you so much for your time. We greatly appreciate everything that you've been able to contribute to the, the audience today. If you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, we would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review. It makes a huge impact in our ability to reach a broader audience. And we've we've gotten a lot more downloads on, on a regular basis as a result. We've also had, uh, you know, on the YouTube front, if you are watching this on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate it if you could like and subscribe to the channel. It really makes a difference in, our, in the YouTube algorithm and ensures more and more people can hear this message and learn about the many facets of commercial real estate. So thanks again so much for tuning in and we'll see you all next time.